than you'll ever know. I feel his presence. Oh, thank you. Can we give it up for God? Come on. Come on, let's give him a praise. Oh, we're not done. We're not done. They're not done. The glory of the Lord is here. Come on, let's praise him out loud. Praise him with a holy cry. feel his glory. I feel his glory. Forgive me, I feel his glory. And when I start feeling his glory, it kind of, you know, I am just learning that, um, that complaining is not intercession, it's intermission. Amen? And when you learn to brag on God, it changes everything. It changes how you wake up in the morning. It changes how you go to bed. It changes every aspect just brag. 30 seconds. Come on, give me 30 seconds of praise. 30 seconds. Hallelujah. Father, we praise you. Father, you're so good. You're, we ain't done. Y'all at 15. You at 15 seconds. All right. 10 more seconds. 10 seconds of praise. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. Four, three, two, give it one more shout. I feel his presence so strongly. You may be seated. I want to say to you this morning that uh, I feel like I'm at home. I walked up in the balcony a few minutes ago and I looked around and I said, Lord, talk to me about this house. And he said, I will fill this place over and over and over and over. I looked down the aisle in the middle of worship and I saw a camel coming. I saw the camels coming. And I heard the Lord say something I've never said in a church in my life that He will raise up millionaires in this house. I'm serious. There's one man that's going to be coming that is very wealthy. And uh, the Lord spoke to me his son committed suicide. You'll know when he shows up. And his money has not bought him anything but worms, eating at his soul. So you need to be prepared for increase this year. And, and, that, and you need to know, uh, uh, people say, are you name it, claim it? No, I'm shout it and grab it. What? Amen. And amen. I, I don't play that game. And, 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 and uh, the Lord is so shifting me over the last year and a half. He spoke to me. He said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. And I'm, I was laying on the beach with my wife. We were resting for about three days before uh, our summer tour of just preaching all over the world. And, and, and all of a sudden, the Lord said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Matthew 16, 19, that he'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. When you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And, and, and I thought, well, that's neat. And so I began to pray. So this back in um, September, the end of August, we're walking down the beach because we, we had to go back to the beach for a friend of ours. Uh, he's in heaven now, but uh, evangelist uh, Steve Hill. Uh, his wife runs their ministry, so we're on the board, and so we're walking down the beach, and Karen and I are holding hands, and, and by the way, uh, let, me, let me stop. I'll come back to that. Um, there's very few people that I've ever met traveling 2.5 million miles in my life. I can count on five, uh, on five fingers. 
people that have radically shifted my spirit, that have so become covenant immediately as if we came from the same womb, that immediately when I met them, I went, I want to know him. I want to be his friend. I don't want anything from him. And that is who God has given you as shepherd, as prophet, as priest of this city. And I so deeply honor you. You and Deb are gifts from God to the kingdom. And um, if someone came in here to do harm, I'd throw my life in front of you. I mean that. I, 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 Jonathan and David, you, I take off my tunic and sword and say, here, you have permission to hurt me. You're the real deal. Can we get up on our feet and give it up for our leadership? I believe in that. Our honor rolls out the red carpet in your life. Come on. We honor you. Thank you for not quitting. Thank you for not falling. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for not chasing the world. Thank you for not uh, prostituting the anointing. Thank you for being the real deal. I pray that every week for the next 52 weeks, somebody blesses your family with something. 52 weeks of blessing. Finances and miracles and that when little Isaac or Luke walks through here, they step back and they honor them. Today we set the pace for the year. Very few pastors give up the first Sunday of the year to start the marathon. So you have to know I count this day as holy. Walking down the beach in September, Karen and I were holding hands. We had gone we, uh, where, where Steve Hill Ministries is. It's down in Orange Beach, Alabama. And we're just walking down the beach, just praying together. And I said, Lord, give me the keys to the kingdom. And suddenly, laying in the middle of the ocean, I looked over. No condos around, no houses around, deserted area of the beach. There, at that exact moment, laying in the water was a silver key. Now, somebody can't get in their house. I don't know. But, <laughs> but I stopped and I said, Karen, do you see that? She goes, what? I said, there's a key, and then the waves rolled in. I couldn't see it anymore, and then it rolled back. She goes, there it is. And I picked it up, and I began to weep, and the Lord said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. And I carry one with me. The, the, the original is framed in our house. We got it framed a couple of months ago, but I carry it with me. And in the middle of, of walking on stage, the Lord said, pull it out of your wallet and give it to James because it just represents the key that I found in the ocean. It represents, I carry this with me because, because when I'm pulling out my wallet for any reason, I look down and I see the key. If I get pulled over by the cops, I try to pull it out first, say, bro. And... Uh, which if you got to understand, I'm from NASCAR country. We believe in getting places quick. But my beautiful bride, my gift from God of 26 years, sends you her love. She was going to be speaking tonight, and on Thursday she began to feel sick. And for six weeks, we've been writing a new book together called Rebuilding the Altars. We're writing it together, which is very rare for a couple to do and not end up in divorce. And... and uh, we're in the middle of launching this new book, and it isn't done yet. I'll finish it. We'll, we'll finish it this week. And for six weeks, I could not talk. The minute, the day I started writing, my voice got attacked, and I had to whisper for six weeks. 
I wrote the first half of the book. Karen's writing the second half of the book. She started to write two days ago, and she got strep throat. And she was going to get on the plane, but she didn't want to be around uh, Pastor James and the family and, and uh, little Luke, who's going to be healed, and, and uh, Isaac. And she said, I better stay back. But she was going to be preaching tonight. But I want to tell you, ladies, if, if you've not read Dehydrated Book, It's Sweeping the World. You will literally have Jesus walk into your house as you're reading it. It's that type of encounter. Her brand new book is back there. you got to get it. It's about the woman at the well who met the seventh man. Met the man of perfection. Here was the, the whole, the book is also about a, a whole lot of other stuff, but one of the things she writes about is people think that she was a filthy woman, the woman at the well in John chapter 4. She wasn't. She was rejected because she couldn't have children. Because if she had been a filthy woman, she would have been stoned. So you have to understand, we're about to step into the season of the unqualified. Many of you know I launched a book this year called, this last year called Unqualified, and it's about how God raises up those that no one, that, that no one else would ever pick. He's using the, the failures, the losers, the nobodies. I, I write a very transparent story in there of battling with secret depression for years until I went out to Gettysburg and the Lord said, go dance where others have died. I want to encourage you, if you don't have these books, to get them back there. And, and there's, we're doing a buy one, get one free. But there's one other thing that I felt in my spirit. If, I, if you don't care, I'll tell you about for just a second. There's the Desperation series, the new series on the altar. There's uh, the I Am Remnant book, which is still sweeping the world two years later. And, and, um, but we've got a series back there called uh, 21 Days That Will Revolutionize Your Life. If you're starting the fast, get this series. How breakthroughs comes at 1, 3, 7, 21 days. The increments. What happens when you do an, a Daniel 21 fast and you study Isaiah 58 and begin to realize it's not this kind of fast that God has designed to break the bonds and the chains. So if you don't have that series, we'll give it to you back there uh, with the book. And then lastly, the Lord spoke to me about the entrepreneur anointing a year and a half ago. I didn't understand it because, uh, as Pastor James says, I give everything away. And the Lord said, I will raise up priests and kings. And when you study that, Revelation 1, Revelation 5, you realize that God has designed us to walk in blessing. Are you with me? And if you listen to this, I want to warn you, you'll begin to have visions and dreams uh, and you'll, and, and since God gave me this, I've seen miraculous things happen to finances. So check that out back there. I normally don't talk about product. I, and, and then here's the big thing the Lord spoke to me that I must get into this. Grab your Bibles uh, so you'll think I'm going to my sermon. Um, to Luke 15. Luke chapter 15. But if you have any sick among you tonight, bring them. Get everyone you can get here tonight because we're going to see miracles. I believe that. You're going to have plenty of time to go get that nap, which is anointed. You're going to have plenty of time to go relax. But get here tonight. Call family. Call friends. Call whoever you can and get them in this house. You, we are in what I believe, a lot of you don't understand, but a piece of your church is in some of the greatest leaders in America and in the world, Singapore, pews from this house. The Lord spoke to me January 18th and 19th of last year, sitting on a pew from this church that he would shout in 2016. He told me 16 prophetic things that would happen. I saw a prophetic vision of, uh, of a homosexual um, uh, giant gathering 
and there was perversion going on, but suddenly they were on their knees weeping before God, crying out for salvation. It happened this year. I was in Orlando, and right after the shooting, I saw somebody I knew when we went down on vacation for a few days. And a guy came up to me, he knew me, and he began, we began to talk about the shooting that had just happened the week before in the nightclub in Orlando. And he said, did you hear about what happened when the shooter began to kill everyone? I said, what? He said, all those kids that had been raised in church began to fall on their knees crying out to God as they were being murdered. So while we love to say they went to hell, you better be careful. I serve a God of grace that interrupted and said, come on home. The Lord spoke to me sitting on your pew last year, December 18th and 19th. He said, there will be a crazy thing that takes place in the middle of the presidential election. That was before we saw who won the election. And listen, I'm not worried about who won either way. Whether you're a donkey or an elephant, I got a lamb. And so... So, so put your, your world system away. But the reason why I tell you that is this house has impacted me. It shifted me. You don't even know where you're at every Sunday. These walls have heard the greatest sermons ever preached in history. These floors. These floors have held the tears of the saints. Do you not think it so that God could still pour it out again? I hold. I was given a very precious gift that is being put in my new book, The History of the First Church of New London, Connecticut. I can tell you the five things that were going on before revival broke out here. I can tell you what the church was like, and I can tell you America is just like it right now. Before every great revival must come great turmoil. And I brought a gift to you today, and I want you to get ready because I must preach a message that I am about to preach in America. We shot a video a couple days ago. We're not showing that, guys. But, but uh, Karen and I shot it outside our house because our goal, the Lord began to speak to me about the altar, and I'll go deeper in there in just a moment. But the Lord told me to bring a gift to you, and I can only take these to certain houses. And he said, you're going to deliver altars all over America, and, and you're going to put them in the house as a gift. You're going to drop a seed of revival in the house. And he said, only put them in houses that are ready for revival and ready for souls, not to churches that have given up on the altar. And, and, and so, but, so I brought a gift. James, this is my gift to you. I brought to you today. And, and on top of it, we burned the word souls. And so in just a moment, I'll present this to you, but, but I must get into God's word today. And so in looking at Luke chapter 15, I, 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 I'm afraid I might mess up the clock a little bit today. I hope you're okay with that, but we'll get out of here in time to eat some lunch, but just think about it like this. You're going to get there when they're bringing out the second level of food. Amen. Luke, the 15th chapter. See, I honestly believe that the word I'm about to preach is going to get me in trouble. It's already closed my calendar some. Because I just happen to believe that we're called to be mobile upper rooms. I happen to believe that when we walk into places, demons ought to dive out windows. was walking with a friend of mine through the airport in Houston recently, and we were going down to speak in Brownsville, Texas area, and Harlingen, Texas, and, and it was so funny because I preached to over three or 400 people, Hispanic. They didn't understand a word I said, but they all got saved. 
They didn't have an interpreter for me. But we're trying to get there, and we're delayed, and we're in the Houston airport, and it's midnight. And this is just a couple of months ago. It's midnight, and finally, it's like, what is going on? The planes are delayed. It's midnight. We're sitting in this little deserted area of the airport in Houston. And finally, as I'm going to get on the plane, they finally call us, this precious African-American lady behind the counter. As I'm walking towards the, to put my ticket through, she goes, preacher. I said, yeah, pray for me. And I started to hand a ticket and say, gotcha. We'll drive by prayer time. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord said, go and lay hands on her now. And I walked over, and as I began to pray for her, I began to prophesy, you've got two, two kids. Your husband abandoned you. She gets rocked. She's laying, I didn't even realize that my friend that was with me got a picture of it, but she's laying on, on her knees behind the United desk. I'm, she's pulling me over the counter. She starts speaking in tongues. The Holy Ghost hit the airport. Oh, you ain't getting this yet. At what point will we actually start to possess what he gave us? So I must preach the power of the altered, the power of walking through transformation. And, and I love, now follow me for a second, because see, I've, I've learned you can only preach where you survived. In fact, when I get to heaven, I don't want to be out of place when I get there. In fact, I can't wait to get to heaven because it's not going to be anything but worship and food. I'm going to be like, I can't live without your presence and sucking on a snicker bar. Amen. I'm so ready. So fired up. No fat grams in heaven. But I must preach a life message that is our new book that's going to be coming and a whole series that's coming with it. But simply titled The Altered, if you don't mind. I must preach about The Altered this morning. And, and you need to know that there's about 14 or 1,500 people praying for this service right now. But, but get ready because looking at Luke, the 15th chapter, I love Luke 15. It's my favorite chapter. It's the lost chapter of the Bible. It's called the lost chapter. God knew the lost before ABC did. And in that chapter, you have the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. All three of those things represent why people are lost. The lost coin, it's the anatomy of lostness. The lost coin got lost because somebody mishandled it. The lost sheep got lost because it wandered off. And the lost son got lost because he made bad decisions. But the Bible says in Luke 15, looking at verse 20, and we'll come back to this in just a moment, but it says, So he got up and he went to his dad. But while he was still a long ways off, that's my favorite. I'm a drug dealer's kid. German Jew family that never knew God till 1975. While he was still a long ways off, I, I write about and I am remnant. When my son was being recruited, Nate uh, is, is my best pal, my best friend. I, I, I write about, and he's a youth pastor out in California now, leading about 2,000 kids. But I write in, when, when he was in high school, God gave Karen and I, we have a sleep disorder called Revelation. And God gave both of us a prophetic dream the same night that he was killed. And we're out jogging the next morning, and I said, I had a dream. And she said, I had a dream. And I write about it, and I am remnant. But, but I'll never forget, uh, it, it it was a spiritual attack. He was being recruited for football, and he had gotten into a lot of stuff because the enemy wants your seed. In our spiritual nepotism, we kind of think that our kids get it when they don't. And I'll never forget, I have this dream. Karen has the dream. And for three weeks, we went into intercession. And finally, he calls me. I'm preaching in South Texas. Karen is in Florida ministering. And he calls me early one morning, and he said, Dad, i got to tell you what's been going on. 
And I jumped on a flight from San Antonio, raced home, ran to the downstairs of our house where he was waiting on me, expecting me to just hit him. Because I've learned the people that preach the hardest or preach the most grace usually have the most judgment at the end towards others. But the ones that preach judgment have the most grace. And while I preach a very intense and tough word, I want to be the one that runs and tackles. And I ran down the stairs and I had stopped and bought him a new purity ring because he had given it away. And, and I ran down the stairs and he's sitting there weeping uncontrollably. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I ran to him and, and he, he looks up almost like I'm going to hit him. And I tackled him and I said, no! And I grabbed his hand and I put a new ring on his finger. See, you have to understand, there comes a moment There comes an understanding. There comes a place that it's when we can no longer stomach the stench of compromise that we arise and run back to dad. The Bible goes on to say, when he was a long ways off, his, his dad saw him filled with compassion. That's word in the Greek there is splagchisnemoa. It means to ache from within your bowels. Filled with compassion, he runs to his boy. He ran to his boy, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Listen, what I'm about to preach to you will be considered old school, out of touch. Best kept quiet for fear of compromising and offending those with finances. In fact, understand that some will say the message I preach today is emotional platitudes that, that, that can harm the well-funded churches that remind many churches across America, remind me of Hollywood movie sets. They look awesome on the outside, but they have no depth past the front door. In fact, this type of message, they will tell you, doesn't work today. I preach about the altar. I've been told you can't preach that, Pat. Here's schedule. I was told about the largest church in America, or excuse me, in Australia. They didn't want me to come preach in Australia anymore because I preach on sin too much. Jesus started his ministry with the word repent and ended it with repent. Read Revelation. They would have really hated John the Baptist. The spirit of Elijah. But what you have to understand is as I move into this word for just a few minutes, I've come to preach about the power of the altar, the power of the encounter. If you will get a hold of this, this will change your year. In fact, I've been told by some, one guy said, Pat's old cloth. He may only be 47 years old, but he's old cloth. We don't preach like that anymore. One guy said, Pat's a dinosaur of ministry. And I got to thinking about it because at first, you know, it hurt. It, it offended me. And then I thought, well, that's cool because when dinosaurs die... They leave oil for the next generation to run their cars. So make me a dinosaur. But as I move into this, you have to realize I'm preaching about the power of the altar, the power of transformation. It's the cry aloud and spare not. It's an understanding that the wicked run away, but the, the, but the righteous are bold as lions. It's an understanding. Listen, shall, we, shall the generations to come look back and declare they were loud for the wrong reason and quiet in the right season? I want to be the Exodus 33, 11, Joshua. Moses leaves, his, leaves after meeting God as only a friend can meet face to face, leaves the tent, and then the Bible says that, and that as he goes back to the, to the camp, that it says, it, it, there's a little line in there, but Joshua stayed. I want to be the Joshua that stays. God may not be talking to me, but I just want to be where he talked. 
I want to be the one that sits in his presence. I'm reminded of Romans 12.1. Paul said, I beseech you, I beg you to make your life a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. So today, for the next few minutes, if you'll let me, I'm going to preach about the altar. Would you watch this video? See, I must tell you how this was birthed. A, a year ago, October, I was at our international board meeting, and people come in from around the world for our board meeting. It's a one day, all day. They look at the finances. They look at what Karen and I are doing, what we're writing, what's going on, and 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 they just bring insight. They're great leaders, and 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 it was a year ago, October. I I, I was walking out of the restaurant. Long day, you know. It's one of those long day meeting days where you're just kind of weary, and everyone's heading back to their hotels, and 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 I'm going to get in the car. And, and a good friend of mine who's very close to Pastor James and I named Dr. Mark Spitzbergen walks up to me and he goes, Pat. I said, yes, sir. The Lord says he's going to tie you to the altar. And I looked at him and I thought, okay. I, 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 honestly, I didn't know what it means. I, I, I remembered that, you know, obviously that according to oral tradition, that when Abraham, God said, take your son, your only son, Genesis 22, said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and tie him in the altar. In fact, by the way, the first time you find the word love in the Bible is right there. And love is tied to father for his son. First time it's in the Bible, in the Hebrew, the word love. In fact, it's also the first time you say, when, remember when the servant said, or Isaac said, uh, where are we going, Dad? And he said, I go worship. It's the first time you find worship in the Bible. What you call sacrifice, God calls worship. But all tradition teaches, uh, the Jews teach, that Isaac said, tie me tight. We think he's like a little kid, but he was actually 33 years old. See, we love to lay what we hate on the altar, but when's the last time you laid what you love? I got crazy dreams to fill stadiums across America to see revival. But, but over the last six months, God keeps saying, give it to me. Are you okay if I hide you in a cabin and no one ever hears your voice again? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. It's two nights ago at one in the morning when I heard him say, get back to the carpet. I will never anoint your feet till first your knees touch the carpet. So Mark says that to me, and it radically 
wrecks me. I didn't understand it for several months. And then in March, a friend on March 26th brings me. I'm preaching in, uh, in Dallas, Texas. He builds me an altar and brings it to me. And he said, the Lord told me to bring this altar to you. Now he is my uh, friend that, that traveled with a great evangelist that now builds these for me. And I pay him to build these for me. He built this one and he prays in tongues as he does it. Our team anointed this with oil. You got to understand, this is my gift to this house because you're allowing pieces of you to go to America to remind them of the days of revival. So I brought this as a gift. And so, but, but number one, tie me to the altar. The Bible says in Psalms 118, verse 27, God is the Lord. He has given us the light. Bind the sacrifice with the corns, uh, with the, to, with the, to the horns of the altar. With the cords to the horns of the altar. Hosea says he has hemmed me together. I'm hemmed in by his love. I didn't understand this. It began to mess with me. Why would God say, tie me to the altar? Lord, I preach. My, 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 my ministry is known for the altar calls. It's known for the healings. It's, it's the girl that walked up to me this year in Tampa and said, when you preach, you always say that scars disappear. Well, my, my wife left me, or my, my mom left my dad uh, uh, over a year and a half ago. And when she's a beautiful girl, that, that's her right there. She said, she said, when my my mom left my dad. I began to secretly cut myself, and we're in Tampa. It was a big move of God. And, and she said, while you were preaching tonight, I pulled my sleeves back, and all my scars were gone. The dad is standing there weeping. He goes home, and the teenage daughter calls. Her name's Lauren. Calls her mom and says, Mom, there's a preacher here, and all my scars are healed. Mom drove eight and a half hours back to Tampa, gets radically saved the next night, and that God restores their marriage in the altar. See, I'm preaching about the altar because the church has gotten really good at sanctifying demons. And when you remove one-third of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one-third from 100 leaves the number 66.6, .6, the spirit of the Antichrist or the spirit of the anti-anointed. And we have learned to do church without encounter. We've learned to do church without the presence of God. And we've learned to church to do church as just another social gathering instead of understanding that church is a coming together of place of transformation where every Sunday you should bring something and leave with nothing. Every Sunday you come in and you walk in. You ain't going to get this. That's all right. But he spoke to me. Tie me to the altar. And I began to think about it. What does that mean, Lord? So I went to 2 Corinthians 5.14 for, for Christ. Love compels me. One version says it constrains me. To be constrained by God means to create boundaries in your life. See, God is not anti-fun. He's anti-pain. But we're living in a day of a generation where we'd rather love your soul more than your spirit. Go do whatever you want. Go get wasted. Go party. Go have sex. Just come to church every now and then. You'll feel just fine. But when you truly step into the love of God, His goodness draws us to repentance. When you truly step into the love of God, it is not about what I can go and do. It's about how can I be? It's John 15. Apart from him, I can do nothing. I am tied to him. To be constrained means to take an oversized pillow and put it in a smaller box. It means even though I'm puffed up, once I get constrained by his love, I can't go do whatever I want to do anymore. I, it's not legalism. It's holiness. I'm separate. So you have to understand, it's Philippians 3. I, I'm crucified with him. I fellowship in his sufferings. It's an, Oh, you're not getting this just yet. 
yet, church. It's a transformational mindset. Why? Because we are the remnant. We are those that will no longer squander the daylight with things that do not matter, but, but live waiting for night to fall when men have fear in their hearts. That is when their light from God shines ever so bright as they climb upon the altar. Listen, it's, it's understanding that when God walks in, I die. It's when you begin to say, I am, I'm tied to him. The greatest points in my life have always taken place at the altar. We get married. We get dedicated at the altar. We get married at the altar. We get buried at the altar. They put our casket there. Why don't we visit in between? See, I'm not preaching about a wooden altar. I'm preaching about having an encounter in your laundry room. I'm preaching about having an encounter in your car on the way to work, on the bus. I'm preaching about, as you walk during the day, a daily encounter. I walk with him. He talks with me. Give my God a praise right now. I want to be the one that in the, when I'm sitting somewhere that, that I'm tied to him. It's when Karen and I have been on the plane the last year, several times going to do TV interviews. We've had moves of God right on the plane where we've laid hands on people and they've been healed. See, because people can't run when they're on the plane. I want to be tied to him. I want to be wrapped up in him. It's me as a little boy. Holy Ghost about to hit the room and I want you to know the altar area is already open. But me as a little boy, my dad and I were at a youth camp and, and everyone went to bed to their cabins. But the preacher had preached on the baptism of fire and, and it's one o'clock in the morning and with my head laying in his lap I said, Dad don't make me go to bed till I get it. It's me at 16 running from God. And I said, if you're real, walk into my bedroom. And he walked in. Ah, tie me back to you. Tie me back to your presence. Listen to me, church. We must become frustrated. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated that the suicide rate has gone, has doubled in the last 10 years between 5 and 10-year-olds. I'm frustrated that now it's okay for people to undress where our children get dressed because they identify a certain way. And we no longer protect our children. If that offends you, stay a little bit longer. It'll get worse. Truth is the new hate speech. and The enemy of, the enemy of truth is silence. If it's not in here, shut up. I ain't got time for you. And what you have to understand is there comes a moment where frustration will overwhelm you because we're living at a time where people don't understand Matthew twenty two fourteen. Many are going to get invited, but not everybody's going to make it. We don't like to share that in our grace-driven society where as long as you pray a prayer, you can go do whatever you want. But Titus 2 gives us the true definition of grace. In fact, can I give you the true definition of grace? There's a true definition of grace because it's being preached wrong all across the world in Asia and, and, and South Asia and, and Africa. It's being preached wrong because, because we don't like constraints. We don't like God saying, I'm expecting this from you. You want everything from me, but this is not a, a two-party relationship. You treat me like you're Santa Claus crawl up on my lap and beg and I walk away and you only, you only want me to show up once a year. But the true definition of grace is this. He accepts me as I am but loves me too much to leave me that way. 
And what you have to understand is we are living at a time where we want God to come with a feather, not a sword. But Jesus said, I am coming to separate the sheep from the goats and a goat will eat anything. And what you have to understand is, dare we say to our children that our nation was destroyed because we who had a voice decided the price to speak was more costly than their freedom. And I'm frustrated right now. I'm frustrated because I've got friends dropping out of ministry and they treat the call as something you can just hand off into a new business card. And God, I'm watching them burn out. I'm watching guys that are pastoring mega churches, 15 services a week, and they're, they're burned out. They're stuck on the highway of holiness because they've been trying to drive their car without the oil. And what you have to understand is I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. I can't even explain how frustrated I am right now. I go to bed frustrated. I wake up frustrated. Why? Maybe it's because of the celebrity Christianity. But the true newspaper coverage of, of the college should always be an obituary of self and the, the birth announcement of spirit revival. I love what my son said to me about three weeks ago. He calls me. He had been praying. He says, Dad, he's 25 years old and leads about 2,000 kids out in California. One of the most powerful moves of God in America. Over 1,000 at the prayer meetings on Monday night. And he called me. He said, Dad, I was just praying. And he said, he said you know what I've noticed? He said, Dad, he said, we're called to live in the shadow of the Almighty. He said, Dad, you can't be in the spotlight in the shadow at the same time <laughs> I thought dang that's good Nate I said son I'm going to use that I'm going to give you credit twice and that's it after that it's dad's But you know what I've learned about frustration? Is anybody frustrated? Are you frustrated? Are you frustrated? Oh, just another new year. Just another year. Oh, let's all get excited. Send out the little things and, and, and bug people by sending out the messenger of 55. Tap this forward stuff. I hate it. And so, are you frustrated? I'm frustrated, James. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated because the church has been sleeping and hell has been overwhelming. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated because they have done once again what Constantine did to the church and they put us back in our little buildings and say, be quiet or else we'll take your 501c3 from you. I'm frustrated that we're so worried about that. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. 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 I can't explain it. But you know what I've learned? Frustration and agitation are the mother of intercession if you're frustrated you're on the verge of revival it means he's been prodding you he's been poking you he, my little grandson came to see me this week and 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 all week long he knew when I was gonna walk by him I was gonna poke him he's gonna poke me and it was our game all week that's what God does he just because God loves to play peekaboo you know that right he loves to play peekaboo God peekaboo you know why we play peekaboo with our children it's to teach them that even though we're not, they can't see us, we're still there. So when Jesus popped in, in the garden, popped in, on the road to Emmaus, popped in to the, the upper room, and then he would disappear. You know why he did that? He was saying to the disciples, you may not be able to see me, but I'm still here. He was teaching them like we teach our children. Oh, I got to hurry. Because, see, there's a moment where you have to understand, church. There's a moment where you have to realize that, they're, they're, that, that frustration, it's what Solomon said. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. I'm frustrated because I have that calling walking down the streets of Dallas in May of 2012. And I'm out jogging. Well, I was heavier then, so I was out loitering. And 
And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord said, I will raise up a remnant in America. I ran back to my hotel room, began to look it up, and I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated because I didn't ask for this calling. It's the voice of one who cries out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, the John the Baptist calling. I'm frustrated because we are one generation away from the extinction of Pentecost. Judges 2.10, we have, it says, Joshua's grandchildren, a whole generation grew up that knew neither God nor what he had done for Israel. Wait a minute. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. But by the time you get to his grandchildren they don't know him why because it's the three chairs you've got relationship religion then rebellion because one generation doesn't know how to pass it on correctly we are less than 40 years away from no pentecost in america and i'm reminded i set up this tombstone this summer and it was hundreds and hundreds of young people and i was preaching about that we are going to lose the remnant voices we're a generation that is one generation away from the extinction of pentecost i stepped back hundreds are standing there the room was frozen. No one was playing instruments. They began to worship. Suddenly the wind of God hit and blew it over and everyone stepped back. Hundreds began to weep and wail and I looked at the band. I said, who touched it? They said, we didn't touch it. I said, what just happened to the tombstone? And Jesus said to me, don't you dare put a tombstone on a generation I'm not done with yet. frustrated. I'm reminded when I was, I want to be Jonathan Edwards. Oh God, stamp my eyeballs with eternity. I was in the middle of writing this and I don't ever answer my phone when someone calls me when I'm writing a sermon, but I looked down and it was Pastor Rodney Howard Brown and he called me and I looked down and I said, hey pastor. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm writing a sermon. I have a word. I said, yes, sir. I said, hold on. Let me get my pen. And this is what he said to me. It was so powerful. We must introduce them to God. I said, I told him I was writing on the altar. He said, we must introduce them to God and arrange the meeting. Those that are faithful to the purity of God, the doctrine and work of the Holy Spirit. And if they are desperate, they shall experience the move of God like no one has ever seen. This happened in the middle of writing this message. In my upper room at my house. See, there comes a moment, there comes a moment where you, you get so frustrated, but we think our frustration is because of our family or because of our kids or because of our grandchildren or because of my husband or, or because of the wife. Or, but you don't understand, frustration is from God. It's Romans chapter 8. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope, hope deferred makes the heart sick. In hope that creation itself will be liberated. In other words, the frustration you're feeling right now eating at you is from him. He's poking you. Some of you need to understand that sitting Christians hatch hypocrites. And if you're not coming up against God, it's because you're flowing with the enemy. Or excuse me, if you're not coming up against the devil, it's because you're flowing with him. And there comes a moment where all hell is going to attack you. My family's been under attack for six months because of the new book we're writing. James's son is under attack. My daughter has to go to a meeting in three days to find out if she has to have the same surgery for her ears. And I'm going, what the hell is happening? You think I just cussed? No. I give all credit to the attack to the enemy. And I have stood on my front porch and I said, you get your hell out of my yard, devil. That's offensive. It's not meant that way. I don't cuss for shock. 
That's not what that was. But what you have to understand is there comes a moment where you say, hell, get out of my house. Hell, get away from my kids. Get away from my babies. Get off my marriage. Get off my finances. You can't touch my finances. How dare you? I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seed begging for bread. My children's children will be blessed. Oh, you got to give him 10 seconds of praise. Go ahead and get up. 10 seconds. 10 seconds. 10 seconds. Stand up. 10 seconds. I got to wrap this up. I got to wrap up. Five, four, three, two, one. And we must rebuild the place of the encounter, church. We must get back to the place of the, the altar is the place where what you have been gets interrupted by what you can become. Listen, I'm talking about a Joel 1.13. Come by this church during the afternoon and crawl between the doorpost and the threshold and weep again. I'm talking about that place where we get desperate for him. That place where we understand James 4, come near to God, he'll come near to you. I got to wrap up right here. I love what Ravenhill said. He said, the greatest miracle that God can do today is take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make him holy and then put him back into that unholy world, unholy world and keep him holy in it. You say, well, Pat, you can't preach this kind of stuff in America. That's fine. Because I'd rather be a man without a church than a groom without a bride. we've gotten so good at raising up plastic surgery hospitals versus emergency rooms. And to preach without an encounter with God reduces the preacher to an actor and the audience determines the message. And there is an understanding that you say, God, I have to have you. i got to wrap up. And I'm, I'm frustrated. And what you got to realize, it's the Malachi 4, 6. He said, he said I, I see if I don't turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children back to the fathers, or else I'll curse the land. The Elijah spirit. Who was Elijah? He rebuilt the altars and he fought Jezebel. Remember what happened to Jezebel? Elijah anointed Jehu. Remember what happened to Jezebel? She got thrown out of the tower. What is a Jezebel spirit? John the Revelator said she's still in the church today. She likes to control. She likes to gossip. She doesn't ever want stage time. She just wants to know that she's manipulated the place. It's what's on America. The Jezebel spirit. Remember what happened to Jezebel? She gets thrown out of a tower that her father-in-law built. The dogs came to eat her, the Bible says. And by the way, she got thrown out by eunuchs because that's what that spirit does to the anointed. And then the Bible says that the dogs came to eat her, but they would not eat the palms of her, 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 her hands, the soles of her feet, or even a skull, because even a dog will not eat what you won't worship with. And Elijah was at the end of himself, and all of a sudden he came before God. And Romans chapter 11 says it best. He says, I'm the only one left. And God says, hold on, big boy. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed. I've asked God to give us 7,000 preachers in America. And then he looks at him and says, so too at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. What was Elijah's anointing? To fight Jezebel, religion, and to rebuild the altars. First Kings 18, he called fire down. And the Bible says it blew the dust off the altar after he built it. So you got to understand, to remove the altars to banish Jesus. I don't have time to go deep into it, but the entire Bible is about the altar. The very first altar was the doors taken off the ark by Noah, and he built an altar. One man saved from the flood 
would lead down the road to one man who would create a flood out of his belly shall flow rivers. He would become the door. He would become the altar. I'll get there. Leviticus says, keep the fire burning on the altar day and night. Leviticus 9 says, bring your tithes and offering to the altar. We do it wrong. All through the Bible, the children of Israel, prophets, minor prophets, major prophets, built an altar. Job, the oldest book of the Bible, for my redeemers, my go, my go wall means to be purchased with blood. You can't purchase with blood without an altar. For my redeemer liveth. Oldest book of the Bible. It's about the altar. We had a problem in the Old Testament. We couldn't get to the altar. There was a priest that stood between us. Sin separated us. They would bring animals for certain sacrifices. In fact, Malachi says, shut the doors of the temple if you're going to bring me your useless sacrifices. Your fake fire. We needed a sacrifice to get us to the altar. So God put in a plan. He needed to bring a righteous lamb. A lamb whose blood would cover the doorpost. Build the first helmet of salvation, keeping the death angel out. Children of Israel. Fronts and sides, helmet. A lamb that would cover a man's nakedness in the garden. We needed a lamb. He said, Abraham, go show them. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and lay him on the altar. We needed to get to the altar. We couldn't get there. You need to understand you can see Jesus throughout the entire Old Testament. It's Christocentered. Whether he was a rock for the head of the prophet or the breath in an upper room that would breathe upon a child. He's there. Then Isaiah would stand up one day and say, it's not an animal, it's a man. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. Then all of a sudden, John the Baptist would stand up one day and say, Behold the Lamb of God. And then he would look around the next day and his disciples had left him to go follow the Lamb. Don't start pointing out Jesus or people will leave you. And then Jesus began to do miracle after miracle. John 21 says all the books of the world couldn't hold the miracles he did on earth. Let that mess with you. He was in 800 places at one time. Casting out demons, healing blind eyes, healing withered hands, interrupting a girl's lunch at a well, feeding 5,000, calming the storm, setting an evangelist on fire called a demon-possessed man in the Gadarenes. But that's not why it came. All those miracles, cursing trees, flipping over tables, that's not why it came. That's what you call chilling when you're the king. And when it came time for him to go to the cross, everyone tried to stop him. But we needed to be able to get to the altar. I couldn't get to the altar. The altar was so far away. I had to go to the priest who every afternoon on Friday afternoon would take the blood and touch the hooves of the bull and the forehead and the side of the bull and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon would declare, it is finished. Then we could step into Sabbath. 
but I needed somebody that could say it was finished for me. When he got ready to go to the cross, everyone tried to stop him because they wanted to crown him, but he wanted to be glorified. You'll never get glorified unless you see your father. And then suddenly, see, we needed a mediator between God and man. We needed someone. Hebrews, the fourth chapter says, now that we know Jesus, we needed someone that would understand everything I've been through. He knows what it was like when I lost my sister and went into depression for six months and preached all over the world. Faked everyone out. He knew what it was like at 12 years old when I would take a gun out of my mother's hand. Pastor's wife when she was trying to commit suicide. He says, everything I've ever gone through, he faced. He knows what it's like for you to take your baby into New York this few days from now and stand in the waiting room like this. He knows what it's like. When he got ready to go, he went to eight stations. What were the eight stations? I know I've gone long. Forgive me. I didn't mean to. It's the freedom in the house. He would go to these places. He would be condemned. You think, see, pastor gives an altar call and you're like, oh, maybe next week. Maybe we got to get out of here. We got to go eat now. The kids are coming over. And we treat this. He would say to the women, don't weep for me, weep for your kids. Then he would carry his cross. Then a black man would carry his cross. And then he would speak to the women and, and, and he would say, why are you weeping for me? Weep for your own babies. What's your deal? That's what he said. Don't weep for me. He'd speak to his mother. Then they would nail him to the tree and he would say, I thirst, I forgive, and it's finished. The three things you got to do for God to use you. Then he would give up his breath. Why? I'm done. I'm done. Because some of you treat this. When's the last time you built an altar in your house? When's the last time you got out of bed and crawled into his presence? When's the last time you laid hands on your kids? When's the last time you prophesied over your spouse? I'm not preaching condemnation because it's only in the last few years after traveling the world that I had an awakening that my own house needed God more than I needed to preach the nations. And see, there comes a moment where you begin to realize it's Christmas Eve at our house when we said before we open any gifts tomorrow morning, we're having communion. And then I took the altar that we have at our house and we handed out the little cups in my whole family. We said, thank you for the blood. Thank you for the body. See, there comes a moment where you change your secularism, your infiltration of the nation, and you begin to realize that he walks through your house, according to the Jews, at three o'clock every morning at the dew of the morning. You'll feel God, and I also feel devils. But see, there comes a moment where you begin to say, tie me back to you. What are you talking about? Because Hebrews 10 says this, and it's the most powerful verse. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. The Bible says Jesus became our altar. In other words, until he died on the cross, until he spread out and said the doors are open, until that happened, at that exact moment, all of a sudden, now I had access to say, excuse me, high priest, excuse me, burned up animal. I, I'm so sorry you're going to have to move out of my way because now, according to scripture, I can step through what has ever held me back. I can walk up right here and I can wrap myself around him. He became my altar and he walks with me and he talks with me and tells me I am his own. I'm done. This is it.
your Lord, sorry. He outran the village for me. People tell me there's no altar calls in the Bible. I'm like, you're a fool. I wonder how many demons got sanctified last Christmas morning as people came and blew out a candle. And people were going back home in their car going, I just need him. And they don't even know what they need anymore because preachers of my generation have decided that the next generation is not worthy of what changed them. I love Luke 15. See, a Jewish boy, if he wastes his inheritance in front of the Gentiles while his father's still alive, he's cursed. The only way he can come home is to be a slave. So his Bible says he's sitting in the pig slop. And he says, I'm going to go home and be a slave because that's what you had to do. He didn't know dad was watching for him every day. And there's a ceremony called the kazaza. Kazaza means cutting off. Still exists today. And that is if you waste your inheritance, the only way you could come home, you have to be cut off, but you can be a slave, an indentured servant, until you earn enough of your inheritance back. And what would happen is when the boy would come home, the village would meet him at the edge of the city, and they would break a pot of burnt beans and corn at his feet. And that meant, all right, big boy, you're no longer a son of the village. You are now a slave of the village. You work for us. You've embarrassed your dad. So when the Bible says, when he was a long ways off, his dad saw him and took off running. He gets to his boy, servants beside him. He said, get him dressed, get him dressed, get him dressed. Here, put, this, put the ring on, put the ring on. Put shoes on him. Put a new coat over him. Cover his filthiness. Kisses him on the cheek. It's the only other time you'll find that is Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit felt it's the same exact term. And by the time they turned around, the village was getting there. And they're about to break the pot of burnt beans and corn. And he goes, I don't know what you're doing. You can't cut off my boy. He was dead, but now he's alive. By the way, y'all invited to a party tonight. Come on, son. He outran the village. He outran the accusers. So today, today,
slip out like we do, as if you aren't worthy of a touch from the King. For your glory, Lord, is at your altar unchanged. How's that song going? I leave my life down at your altar. I lay my fear down at your Lift your hands across this house. Come on, warriors. Today is a new day. Go ahead. Go ahead, Sam. It shifts. It stops the war. Frustrated. You can have all of me. Do it again. said he said he said you abandon your dreams for others but God says I'll give them back hold you your dreams again restoring of the dreams so the Lord says what's your
Tracy. I saw the, I saw a T. The altar's open. You didn't hear me say it? I'm wondering if there's anybody that can just come for five minutes and join me. Then we'll break for lunch and come back for miracles tonight. But five minutes. The altar. Now, the altar can be your car. It can be your workplace. It can be your cubicle. It can be a locker, a school. An altar can be anywhere. It's not a wooden piece of anything. Jesus became our tabernacle. He tabernacled amongst us. He became the house. that would, The word of God. John 1. So would you come join me, everyone, just for a minute? Even if you've never walked down, just to say you did it. Just to say it was cool. Let's sing it again together. Come on. Come. Prepare for heaven. shut across the house here's where the spirit of the Lord says on January the 1st 2017 I'm starting over and if you're in this room and you've allowed perversion or sin to rob you of intimacy with God maybe you've never accepted him maybe you've walked away from him maybe you've begun to treat him like an idol it's got to stop. The Bible says if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart. We do a lot of confessing without believing. That means it's a heart surgery where God walks in and just starts cutting out and says, okay, you ready? I want this portion of your heart. 
The Bible says, whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. So everybody say this out loud. Everybody, even if you whisper because you're not a loud person, say, Jesus, help. He's right in front of you. Very present help. In time of trouble. The Lord says, be steady. spent a lot of your life having to go <clears throat> God says when you're kicking that wall up down there was a door right here just gonna keep. just be steady your treasure and your finance will not come from the ministry come from other ideas you have so that you can relax in the ministry. Okay? Lord says, don't worry. But he says, be steady. And enjoy the season. Every eye shut. Forgive me, I got lost. Say, across this room, if you say, I need God to change me. I need God to encounter me. I need God to wash over me. I need God to fix me. I need to get forgiveness of junk in my life. I need to accept him as Lord and Savior. Maybe you've walked away or you put him on the back burner and you say, I need to change today. I need God on this day to be my altar. I want to be tied to him. If, they, if you have sin in your life or you've walked away, this is the first of three calls. If you say, that is me, I need God to change me, raise your hand ever so slightly. Higher so that the angels can watch. And would you simply, all over the house, we're going to play, pray intimately and boldly today. We're going to say, God, Sarah, hold on one second. Say, God, help. He's about to purify some minds in here, man. Some of you have invited perversion pretty deeply into your life, and it's got to stop, or it's going to destroy your family. And it is no longer secret before the Lord. It has come up before him. And all over this house, say, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the one true God. I devote my life to you. I repent. Cleanse me. Wash over me. Invade me. Break me. Get ready for the heavy part where you're going to begin to weep. Say, Jesus, I've been tied to everything else. Cut those cords. Cut those cords. Say, Jesus. Tie me to you. Say, I receive you. Now here comes the big part as a whole body. Go ahead, Sarah. All over the house, simply say, tie me back to you. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Throughout the afternoon, he's going to start digging, just digging. Just digging, just removing layers, just digging, just digging, just digging. Now stand with me all over the house, if you can, stand with me. Lift your hands. See, the Bible says I'm an oak of righteousness. You know what that means? My roots are deep. My hands are lifted high in praise. Say, Jesus, I commit. To 2017, holy, devotedly, 
giving you me. Interrupt my days. Bless my nights. Heal my home. I will. See, church, listen to me. You'll never have an altar till first you lay your flesh. So that means, how do you have an altar, Pat? What does that mean? Let me give you some, just some pastoral tips real quick. It means when you start to do something and God says, don't do that. You've just laid yourself on the altar again. It's why we're talking about fasting. You don't fast to get something for God. You fast to know God. He's not a prostitute. But it means throughout the day, if we just ever, you know I talk about this. We just walk past our kids and we just go, come here. Speak life over them. They're having a tantrum. No, 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 no. We ain't going to put up with that. You're going to get your tail beat. Or let's ask God to heal our heart for a minute. Living your life as an altar. If at last you've tried everything, you've gone to the counselor, you've gone to the therapist, you've done this, you've gone away for the weekend, went to the casino, got you gambling out of the way. That didn't help. That didn't fix it. Went to the bottle. That We know what that'll do. You looked across the cubicle at somebody else over there that doesn't belong to you. We know what that'll do. But instead, sitting there going, I just want God. He'll meet you. You're always 15 minutes away from compromise. But you're only 15 seconds away from His presence. I'm always 15 minutes away from compromise. 15 minutes away. I'm always 15 minutes away from compromise. Whether it's on my phone or people or whatever. 15 minutes. Or 15 seconds away from His presence. So when you say, I lay my life down, you're literally saying, I'm done. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and my live among the people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, Lord Almighty. And the angel took the coal from the altar, touched my lips and said, see, your sin is atoned for. It's an altar call. Every day. Living. See, you didn't say it. But even when I gave that Rolex away, we needed a $30,000 miracle for our ministry. And you know me. You don't get, ever get a letter from me begging. Don't play that game. My God's big enough. Rodney taught me. Walk out to your front porch and call it in. That's what Rodney taught me. But that Rolex, when I told our friend the, day, the night before, ain't nobody getting this one. Because every time I get one, I give it away. The next morning, here. Three days, $33,000 miracle. It starts, it's like, it wasn't about how much an offering was. If it was a ring out of a gumball machine, but the Lord told me to give it, give it. It's obedience over sacrifice. David went to buy a floor or went to get a floor to build an altar, and the guy tried to give it to him. He said, no, no, no. I will ask if nothing does it cost me something. And paid him triple what the real estate agent told him it was. That's why we're about to take these altars all over America. 
We're going to walk into large and small. God gave me three rules when I went on the road. 20 years ago, September. Never ask for a dime, never ask how big a church is, and never preach unless you feel the anointing. My three rules. But I've been more excited about being here with you than some of the stadium events you're preaching at this year. This guy gets invites from all over the world. It's crazy. Because he's a true prophet. He's one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard. But I'd rather be right here in New London on January 1st because this house represents revival. You better get your family and friends here. In a moment, you're going to sow into this ministry. Do what God tells you to do. But I need to buy 100 altars in the next two weeks, and it's going to cost me about $10,000. You can be a part of that. Because we're taking them all over America. I'm sending these young prophets that are with me. Austin, raise your hand. We're sending them out this year to churches I can't go to. I told our board of directors, which you need to come on board. Call me. We'll send altars to you. You go preach it. Pentecost Sunday, we're asking 500 pastors to preach on the altar. Set the nation ablaze. Let's, let's do it. Amen?